Hey, everybody, welcome to starting a counseling practice with Zinimi. We are here today with another amazing, brilliant therapist um, sharing their story of starting a counseling practice. Do not scoff. I saw that little scoffing face there, Heather. <laughs> um, so Heather's going to be introducing herself. If you want to follow along on her website, check out clearchoicecounseling.com. Heather, do you want to start by sharing your full name, your specialty, and where you're located? Sure. So I'm Heather Sigwin, and my specialties are couples therapy and uh, sex addiction and betrayal trauma recovery. Um, I am actually in the process of moving. So I've been located in the San Gabriel Valley slash Inland Empire, California, and now I'm basically moving deeper into the Inland Empire. <laughs> so I'm going to be in like the Temecula, Murrieta, Winchester area. That's but exciting. I'm all virtual now. I am 100% virtual. So I'm all over California, really. <laughs> Fantastic. And then um, why, we always like starting with this, um, in like a very brief two minutes or less, why did you decide to become a therapist? Oh, that's a good one. Um, basically, I knew that I was good at helping people. And I figured I needed a degree to legitimize what I was already good at doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically it's the redemptive component of growing up codependent. Ah, girl, I feel you. <laughs> I tell people that I have a, a little bit of a pet theory that most of us therapists are either codependent or narcissistic. Like either we really get high on telling people what to do and being in control or well, really it's all, it's control either way. We, we either subversively control through passive aggressive means by our codependency, or we do it by being narcissistic and full of ourselves. <laughs> Just a pet theory. <laughs> it's an interesting one. It really is. And I, and maybe there's a little combination of both, right? Like we, sometimes so, we like, we move into like a teaching place, right? Let me educate people because I really want to help them shift and change. I want to help prevent this trauma that I've had. I want to create change, right? Or like, okay, let me just sit and be with people in this space and help them um, come to their own thing of what I already know they should really do. Right. And so, you know, I, you know, I, like, I was the kid on the school bus who would like, oh, there's these friends that aren't talking to each other. They're upset. And I would go and sit with the, the one in the one seat and then I'd go and sit in the other one, totally triangulated. But you know, that's, you know, nine-year-old me. Um, and so it's like, I'm really good at hearing people and helping people work through stuff. And so, you know, here it is years later, here we are. It's fantastic. I love it. I, yeah. Um, why did you decide to open a private practice? That one was pretty much a given from mm -hmm. the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. I knew even in grad school that I wanted to do private practice. Um, I don't even really know why it just was like always a given, um, I think, and of course, like the more that I learned about, so, I mean, I have to be fully honest. I have never worked in a, um, DMH or, uh, agency or I've never worked in an agency setting. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't really know in terms of personal experience, what it's like, but I saw enough of it that it was like, Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I mean, my best friend worked at an agency when she had her first child 
Mm. And so she had to go back to work at eight. It's like, she had to like go back to work because like she had to like go back to work for a week and then be able to take more time. It was, just, it was so convoluted. And she was just like, you know, she's an attachment. She's an attachment oriented play therapist. So she's like, my baby's going to forget me. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, new mom hormones, you know, you're not at your best anyway. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just, that's just too much. <laughs> you know? a lot. <laughs> um, so it's like going into private practice was just a given, even mm. back in grad school. Um, like I, I wanted to be able to help people and not be limited by the structures that tell you this is how it has to be. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in general, I don't think that managed care is all that great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very so. specific. Um, I was reading a, a, a absolutely brilliant article in Psychotherapy Networker talking about the research and what the research keeps saying about the length of treatment and how long it takes people to make change and how at odds that is from what insurance is kind of pushing and that it's, it's a very big disconnect Mm -hmm. and therapists are in that middle, middle place, right. Trying to manage that and saying, Oh, I, I want this to be covered service. It's, it's viable and needed. And also like, wait, but what you need is something different and something longer and what have you. Well, I'm like, I saw that you shared that article and I, it's like tagged for me to go back and read, but I mean, it's kind of intuitive, right? We get wounded in relationship that, that, that forms how we expect the world to be. Therapy is supposed to be a healing relationship that takes time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I think coping tools, that's great. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily create lasting change. Yeah. And the, the article is really great. Um, and we'll, we'll share it in the show notes um, about talking about a lot of the evidence-based, you know, protocol manually based therapies or what have you, they go out from the, from the get-go of saying, this is what healing looks like. And it isn't necessarily related to where the, what the client says healing looks like. And so there's been some other research where they just ask the client, like, when did you notice change? did this work for you? Like, when did, like, when was the, when did you start to feel different? Mm. When did you feel complete? Like, what does that look like? And, and clients were like six months was like when they started to feel like things had really significantly shifted. And they would say like, they sometimes felt worse in the beginning of therapy. And we're like, yeah, that's totally like absolutely what happens. And then like at like a year, they felt like they had really shifted and changed it in significant ways. In like two years, they felt like it was life-changing and it felt like it was additive to them. Um, so it's this, just this very fascinating place. Now, as someone who went into school with private practice as a given, how well did you feel like your particular program prepared you for private practice? Like, was it a good integrated program where like they understood that or was it all kind of focused in more in the preparing you for agency work kind of space? neither mm. I don't think that it had like a bias in either direction um mm-hmm. so it's not like um yeah I think either I mean if I had to pick between the two I would actually say it was probably more private practice awesome. uh, leaning um mm-hmm. probably because I think the all of the professors uh I think had maybe not all of them but a good majority of them had private practices of their own Awesome. What program did you go to? I went to Azusa Pacific. 
Ah, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Private school, yeah. like <laughs> private school tuition. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that was part of the 50 plus grand that I spent on my education. <laughs> it could have been more. I've, I've heard a hundred from a lot yeah. of people at, at other programs. So I think that is a, a place, right? That when people are investing at that level, um, I would hope, right, that they would integrate more movement towards private practice so you could actually pay your student loans. Well, yeah. And I think, so I wouldn't say, like, I mean, obviously the, a, a vast majority of um, students, you know, when you get to that traineeship uh, part, I don't, do they even call it that anymore? Uh, <laughs> practicum? Yeah, practicum. Yeah. Um, a vast majority of those happen in agency settings, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, free labor. Um, yes. <laughs> but for me, and perhaps this was just part of the, um, the constellation of stuff going on in my life, I didn't have a car. Mm. Um, and so I was very much limited to, I mean, unless I wanted to spend like three hours on a bus every day, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, I was really limited to something very, very, very local. So I actually did my, my practicum at, um, APU has the community counseling center that's right across from campus. Mm. And it, it's not just, it's not the school counseling center, it's a community counseling center. So they took in, you know, everyone from the community, it was generally low fee. We actually had contracts with, um, local Head Start preschools. So mm. like I actually went into the preschools and did, you know, horrifically uncomfortable cause I don't do kids play therapy. <laughs> as part of my learning. And I'm like, yep, no, we're not doing kids. That's not, <laughs> not my arena. Um, but I got, so I got the experience of being in a community setting, but mm-hmm. on a much smaller scale. Mm. Um, and without the, um, pressure of like billable hours and all that kind of thing. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then when did you actually open up your private practice? So I opened my private practice in 2014. No, I'm not right. 2016. It's been four years. years, So I opened in 2016, right after, uh, when my, when my oldest was like four months old ish. Mm. So, you know, my, you know, my practicum was in community mental health. Um, when I graduated, I was burnt out and I took two years away from therapy Uh, And then I, you know, came back to it and again, in a very small community mental health setting. And then I finished out my uh, internship. um, Now we would call it what an associateship. I don't know. um, (laughs) In a private practice setting where I learned to specialize in sex addiction. Um, Mm. So I had like, I had a really good groundwork in as an intern in a private practice setting. And my private practice supervisor is, one of the most amazing human beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I just adore him. I learned so much and grew so much. So that really helped to um, set a good foundation for mm-hmm. starting my own private practice. Fantastic. And what was like that first like three months? What what were the what were the pieces that like really stand out for you in that first initial? startup phase I think you actually you talked about you had moved and you were actually starting a practice in like a new place is that I yeah so I've I mean so my um my private practice and internship was in Studio City Mm -hmm. Um, I lived in Pasadena at the time my internship was in Studio City and then 
you know, right at the tail end of my internship, I got married mm-hmm. and so was living again further into the empire. Um, and then, you know, had a baby and mm-hmm. I delusionally thought that I would totally still keep making that drive. And even my supervisor was like, are you sure? Like, are you, are you, I mean, really? And like, it literally wasn't until like, I was like, I don't know, like 32 weeks pregnant. And I was like, oh no, I don't think I can do this. You're like, wait, I'm going to be breastfeeding. And like, I just in the car would be like three hours and like, I'm going to be pumping while I'm driving. What's happening? Pregnancy brain is not so good with the rational thinking. So (laughs) I mean, but what was amazing though. So I, um, where was my, I guess. So my first office was in like Glendora mm-hmm. and like Monrovia slash Glendora. I did a little bit at each one, but I had clients who came with me even mm-hmm. after like from my private practice internship, after a maternity leave who mm-hmm. came and saw me at this new office. Um, and it was a really good start mm-hmm. to, to being in private practice. Awesome. What was at, and since you had done, had like such a great foundation with a good private practice supervisor and like somebody really supportive what were like three things that you were like oh I was still not I was not prepared for these like three pieces like what were the things that when you actually started doing your own private practice that you were like oh I did not I did Mm -hmm. not know and I wish I had I think one of my biggest things that I'm still working out would Mm -hmm. be money Mm-hmm. Um, just the management of the business side of things, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, and not just, I mean, like, I think I'd figured out the fee setting part. So it wasn't that it was just kind of like basics, like taking stuff to the bank, <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, running credit card payments. Um, I didn't have, I don't, it might, it may have been available and I just didn't, wasn't using it, but like having clients credit cards set up on auto pay. Right. And so like, it would, I would just forget to process things. And then it would be like, Oh shoot, there was a charge. I should have processed like two plus months ago. Crap. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then like feeling awkward about having to explain that to a client. <laughs> you know? um, so just some of those like clunky things. Um, I think, uh, I don't know that there were, I like, I felt so well prepared. Mm. So like other than money, mm-hmm. I don't think I've had that many issues. That's so good. I love that. And I think that piece though, of um, what I hear is that like the process of integrating in the business practices when they were like your practices now versus like in the other place, it was like, here's the practice. Now you have to figure out what is going to be my routine for billing how, well, how am I going to double check myself? You know, what are my options for, as I, as I set this up to make this as like streamlined and easy as possible. And I, I had a similar situation where I was like, it's not going to be a big deal because everyone's going to pay me at the beginning of session. I'm never going to like carry a balance. So it's just, it just is what it is. And then I remember I had one client where, and it, this was in the middle of the recession, right? So it was like really crazy. And it was this entrepreneur business owner. And I was like, okay, 
sure, no problem. And so then I like opened up an Excel, but of course you have to have everything like double backed up on like a little USB and, you know, cause you can't keep, you know, I was like, I'll got to make sure I keep this information secure. Um, so it was always hard to like access. Um, and then as a certain point, I was just like, I just don't, I just don't even know. And literally like the last payment that this client made me after we had like wrapped up, he's like, I, I really just can't afford it. I'm like, totally no problem. And then like, I don't know, like a year later, ran into the client at the grocery store and the client like, kind of like goes away. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I just don't, I'm just doing my grocery shopping. And then suddenly the client is back <laughs> and the client is like, hey, I just want to tell you, like, it was just so helpful. And I just really appreciate you. Like, thank you so much. He like shakes my hand <laughs> and palms me a hundred bucks. <laughs> who knows exactly how much the, the amount was but it was like all right we're calling it even just <laughs> <laughs> such a funny thing I was like okay this is not what I expected as a business owner and trying to manage my finances my bookkeeping and then of course like okay let me like keep this separate and then, like make sure I remember when I'm not in the grocery store to go and put, go find that excel spreadsheet and put the number in and all of that yeah process yeah, it is so much easier to just do credit cards mm -hmm. so much easier <laughs> it's a real real thing you know I, me, it is 100 worth it that little three percent charge or whatever it is i'm like it's 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 paying for my sanity mm -hmm. it's worth it <laughs> As i have the same feeling in terms of i had and you know that was even back in the day right when i started um, you know, it's like, oh, someone could bring in a check. And I had one client where, you know, and you, sometimes it's like, oh, you do it a couple weeks later, but literally I had suddenly four checks bounce back for the same client. And it was like a whole thing. And the client absolutely paid it, but it was this, and then there was like charges on their side. There were charges on my side. Like there's people saying, well, I don't want to support credit card debt. I'm like, it's a bank card nowadays. It's not the same thing. It's an HSA no. card. Yeah. They're not paying anything extra. I'm absorbing the cost. This is helping to keep them from having a $36 charge for everything that didn't come through, you know, for insufficient funds. Like this is a much better scenario yeah. than what we used to All do. All the way around. Yeah. all the way around. This is a much better scenario. So, um, I so appreciate that. Yeah. So tell me about, um, how full your practice is today. Obviously you've been in practice for a while, started in 2016. Now it's 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's kind of a weird time. You've moved from in-person to virtual. What does it look like today? Stuffed. <laughs> like I actually, I actually have a waiting list mm -hmm. and which of course, like I'd always said, I'm like, well, not that I always said, but I'm like, I never thought I'd need that. Right. Um, but I've actually been busier mm -hmm. since COVID than before, mm -hmm. um, which on the one hand, it's like, I guess like when you're a healthcare professional and you're busy, it's like good for the business, like rough that people are going through a hard time. Like that's why I'm busy, yeah. but 
it's true. I think obviously, you know, there's so much that we can sweep under the rug when we're spending 10 hours a day away from home, mm-hmm. right? 10 plus hours. And, you know, being more or less still, even though it's a far suburb of LA, it's still a suburb of LA where I live mm-hmm. and, and work. And so people are spending 10, 12 hours a day getting to and from work. If you're only interacting with your family one to two hours a day, you let stuff go, stuff, you know, you don't have to deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. And now that people are in each other's space all day, every day for months on end. I mean, I've had people who, I mean, like longstanding stuff has come to the surface, but then I've also had couples where, you know, they have differences on like, how do we interact around COVID? Do we go out? Do we not go out? Do we interact with family? Do we think this is a big deal? Do we not think this is a big deal? I mean, I mean, there's, there's been so much that has come up this year that Mm -hmm. even couples have diverging opinions about that, that also brings other stuff to the surface. So I've been completely full. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I'm completely cash pay. I Mm -hmm. don't do anything with insurance at all. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm full. Yeah. Was there a part of you when everything started with COVID that was like a little nervous or wondering, like, it's a pandemic, everyone's gonna lose their jobs, my practice is gonna fall apart? Like, was there any part of you that was fearful for a moment? Um, Or three? (laughs) (laughs) Not too much. I mean, like, I had a, I did have a little bit of a dip at first, Mm -hmm. right? Because, of course, I think we were all coming from this, like, all right, it'll be like, you know, maybe two, three weeks. Not like bless our hearts. I know, right? <laughs> Weren't we so sweet and innocent, Aww. you know? Um, so like that first, because I actually had a client scheduled that Friday, because of course so I'm in California. We shut down March 13th. I had clients that day, and so I was like, oh, well, now suddenly we can't meet. So uh what should we do? And I think I had like one or two that were like, okay, with meeting virtual, because I'd done a little bit of you know a session or two here and there virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, but like massively switch all of a sudden a few people were like well let's just see how this plays out so like those next two weeks were a little iffy and then it's been crazy ever since I've been completely mm. booked above and beyond and sorry if you can hear that lawnmower outside no okay. apparently it's landscaping day <laughs> <laughs> it happens um <coughs> pardon me um when you think about that piece when you say stuff talk about what it's like to determine what full is like for you and how to set those boundaries, because that is a hard place when you're looking at like, Oh wait, I could like, wow, I could really increase my income. Like that's great for my family, but like, wait, is that really great for my family? And is, am I taking away from other clients? If I just say yes to everybody and I burn myself out, like how have you been navigating that? Yeah. Yes. To all those questions. Um, (laughs) And I think, probably on top of what we're all going through right now. Um, so I had a baby last July. Um, so, and then five weeks later, my husband had multiple strokes. Um, he's fine now, Mm -hmm. but you know, here I was with a newborn, a three-year-old and a husband who was on disability for three months. We weren't sure if he was going to work. He was having issues with his vision. His vision is still not hundred percent. So like, you know, and this is like last fall. Yeah. And then, you know, he had just gotten back to work, say over like the last over like three, four months and then COVID hits. And it's like, 
what? <laughs> so, you know, from like July of 2019 to this summer, it was, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, fast forwarding past that, you know, you know, so my husband has some health stuff. He had pre-existing health stuff too. Um, you know, we had, you know, he had a little health glitch in May um, that, and we were like, Nope, that's it. You're not working anymore. We will be a single income family. We will make it work. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, so for me, it's like the, the weight of like, Oh my gosh, my family's entire survival is on me. And while there is like a weight of responsibility to that, it was not like, Oh my God, you know, everything's going to fall apart and it's all going to be a disaster. It's like, okay, well we can make that work. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And so in that next, you know, I could fast forward through multiple things, but my husband's actually back at work. They changed his job description. Like various things have transpired. It's been a lot. I don't even know how else to say it, but like, I never had any fear that my practice would fall apart. Like even in the midst of all of these changes, it's like, okay, well, we'll figure it, like, I'll figure it out. And, um, you know, um, the population that I work with also tends to be more stable in terms of, you know, their, their job structures, their income. So they weren't as disrupted as maybe many other people's populations mm-hmm. would be. Um, so, you know, and in fact, many people have actually said it's been great for them to switch to virtual because rather than, you know, having to spend two hours away from mm-hmm. whatever their other life circumstance brings up, it's only the, the one hour, mm-hmm. um, you know, usually doing couples work, it's hard to get three people's schedules coordinated, but with, with two people being at home, you know, it's like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Like we just, we just hop on these calls now. It's like, it's such a part of normal life now. Um, mm-hmm. I think so many barriers just got pushed through. Um, so, but it has had me ask the question of like, how do I manage my own energy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I'm definitely, I have, I have, oh, let me rephrase, <clears throat> verbiage, very important verbiage. I have a tendency to uh, not take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to see five or six clients in a row with mm-hmm. the, what should be 10 minutes, but oftentimes is only five <laughs> breaks in between where I'm like, did I eat today? You know, like, I think I did. Oh yeah. I grabbed some nuts between clients, you know? And then my husband looks at me, he's like, you need like, you need to eat a real lunch. And I'm like, okay. You know? So like I started actually putting breaks into my schedule and like, yes. and I know for myself, like I can do five clients a day and actually mm-hmm. be at my best for all of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I can pull off six um, on occasion, but not as a norm. Mm -hmm. And for sure, I cannot do more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, again, like on some kind of maybe rare oddity type of a thing I could, but like, there's no way I'm pulling eight to 10 hour days. Mm -mm. And it's not necessary. It's not. And, you know, because I own my own business because Mm -hmm. I am a private practice, I do get to set my schedule. And sometimes I forget that. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's like, and you know, my husband's like, well, can't you, like, he's like, don't you set your schedule? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it does make me constantly confront some of my people pleasing tendencies because I'm like, but I don't want to tell my clients things, you know, like, I don't want to change your schedule again. And I'm like, okay, but I have to, right. So like, this is life. 
this is, you know, and, and it works. Like, I think we're, we're afraid to, and I think too, like, uh, it's like, well, this is just how it is, right? This is how it is. It's a, it's a 15 minute therapy hour. And this is what this looks like. And this is what that looks like. And this is how we do what we do. Mm -hmm. And particularly with COVID, I'm like, but does that work? Like, why, why do we do the things that we do? Like, Mm -hmm. does anyone ever stop to ask, does this actually work? Mm -hmm. And if it works, does it work well? Is it sustainable? Um, You know, I tell my clients, I have a very thorough consultation call. Mm-hmm. and a very thorough paperwork process. So from day one, like we hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. And part of my intake process is I tell them, I'm like, my, my goal is to get myself out of your life as quickly as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to see you forever. At the same time, like, like I want our work to be efficient and effective. Mm-hmm. And the truth is like, that does take, I mean, my clients stay with me oftentimes for a year or two or sometimes more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want, I want our work together to be meaningful and impactful every single time. Yeah. And so that means that we have to be really intentional. Like this is not a chit chat. So like the yeah. question of like, well, how's therapy different than just hanging out with my friend? I'm like, well, with me, it's different. I'll tell you that. So with me, it's definitely different. I love, I want to, I want to, there was a couple of things you glossed over. There's like, I feel like we could like talk for a week. This is fantastic, but let's, Let's go back for a second to a couple things. Okay, so one, what would be your advice to another private practice owner whose spouse is going through a health crisis? What did you, what was one of, one or two of your takeaways about how to navigate that or self-talk or advice that if somebody else was dealing with that kind of a, oh my goodness, my spouse is in health crisis, what do I do and how do I manage that? What were your takeaways? Um, I think learning to be flexible and have grace for yourself and the situation. Um, I think like there was just so many unknowns, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are we going to need to go to the emergency room this week? I don't know. Maybe, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, um, and I think also like preparing clients for that. So that's actually part of my informed consent. I'm like, I'm a mom of two young kids and I have a spouse with health issues. That might mean that I might have to late cancel sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, when you have those kinds of things in your family, it shifts your perspective to, you know, not to, not to be um, callous, but it's like everyone else can suck it up and deal. Like mm-hmm. my family comes first. My mm-hmm. life will, will revolve around my family. Mm-hmm. Um, So like, and, and you, like when you start off from that frame of mind, you get people around you who deal with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And who understand that like you, you're, you're giving of yourself exactly what you would tell them to give of themselves. That if a couple said, oh my goodness, go take care of your kid. Like go take care of your kid, go take care of your spouse. Like do not come to my session sick. You know, like you're going to know how to navigate that and say, of course, if you're taking your spouse to the emergency room, that's what you need to do. Like that's just right. a thing, right? So I love that. And I love that piece of um, even integrating into informed consent and preparation. 
not just for your clients, but also for yourself, for someone who is a people pleaser to like, I'm like, I forewarned you. I let you know. (laughs) You had the moment in the beginning with informed consent where you could have been like, I don't like that. And you'd be like, cool, let me refer you out because this is, this is my life. And this is, this is the reality. And I think that when you, you know, um, I listened to, um, you and Kelly share, I think you shared about it in bootcamp. And then, um, you also shared about it at therapy reimagined the whole informed consent and the parrot thing, mm-hmm. which was freaking hysterical. <laughs> um, I was like, Oh, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, who are like, what is going on? So Kelly showed up to, uh, to do brain spotting therapy virtually, with a therapist who did not warn her that he had a parrot present in the sessions that would be talking incessantly and regularly into the session. So it's like, you know, a parrot, they're about a three or four year old. If you were to like translate that into, um, you know, children or human speak. So <laughs> it's like they had their three or four year old present in every session while she was doing this very intense brain spotting work so it was just this very like wait okay if you're gonna do that you gotta like let people know like maybe it's maybe it's not an issue for other people it was an issue for her it definitely be an issue for me like we gotta we we need to really like show up for our clients and let them know because they don't know what therapy's like um in general and they definitely don't know what therapy's like with you exactly and so i like I said, I do, like, I actually forewarn people. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell them, I'm like, my informed, like my, my paperwork packet, if you will, is long. It's, mm-hmm. it's multiple page. I mean, so just my assessments is 10 pages. Mm-hmm. I have 10 documents in my, like, there's an anxiety assessment, depression, a PTSD. Like I, I'm like, let's use all of it. Let me gather as much information as I can from you rather than utilizing this precious session time for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tell people on my intake call, I'm like, look, when people get to me, I use the script, right? I totally use the script. Um, (laughs) She's talking about the script from our our business school bootcamp. Heather is a a bootcamp alum and lifetime member. I tell them like, you know, I, this is how I show up. Right. Mm-hmm. So when people come to me, I know that like they're at their wit's end. They needed something to change oftentimes five, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to beat around the bush. We don't have time to sit here and like sit in a cloud of marshmallows and just have a feel good session. Right. This mm-hmm. is not a pep talk. Mm-hmm. So I tell them, I'm like, I consider myself a tough love therapist. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're going to get compassion and empathy. And yes, we're going to talk about your mother. Like, yes, we're <laughs> all the stereotypical things. and I'm going to tell you what I really think. I'm going to tell mm-hmm. it like it is. I'm going to confront you. I'm going to challenge you. Um, sometimes like, if I think you're full of crap, I'm going to tell you you're full of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, whatever's getting in your way, if I see it, I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when I kind of do my little check-in of like, how does that sound? Vast majority of people are like, oh, that would be great. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like a relief to them that 
that that's what they're going to get. And like, now for some people, I do also say to some people, I'm like, that might be too much for some people. Sometimes what you need is someone to sit with you in a cloud of marshmallows and, and tell you that you're okay. That is a perfectly valid form of therapy. I did it myself for years, you know, (laughs) both both giving and receiving. You're like, it's a really good way to be with another person. And then there's times where we need the balance of empathy and a kick in the tush. Mm -hmm. And that is more the work that I do. Um, So love that. I love it. And, and again, that you've been able to really um, verbalize your brilliance that you can communicate that to other people and, and give them a chance to go, Oh yes, that's what I need. Or, Oh no, that's not what I want. Cause that's what real informed consent is. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to another thing that we touched on briefly, um, which was that being in a place of such confidence in your business that when your husband needed to take off of work, your spouse, the idea that you could say, you know what, we will be a single income family. We'll budget, we'll do whatever we need. But like, I trust my business Mm -hmm. to support our family. Mm -hmm. And that is not always a common experience a for a therapist to have and B for a woman to have, Mm. right? That a woman would feel confident, especially a female therapist would feel confident to say, I'm going to take care of our family and our our kids. I have been in that position (laughs) as well, right? Um, So I, I understand what that's like, but what do you think were the things that happened prior to that moment that in that moment allowed you to feel confident to say, hey, we can do this and shift and it's gonna be okay? That's a good question. It's funny. Like hearing you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, I am a woman. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> I saw like the it, look on your face, like, actually. It didn't even, it's like that didn't even occur to me that that would be an issue. Like at all. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and it, but it, if you look at it like systemically and like from a society kind of a perspective, right? Yeah. I, I'm sure I'm going to, I'm going to also call something out because you talked about like liking the honesty part, right? there's probably a lot of people who are like listening to this in the beginning when you're like, I didn't even consider private practice. Like that's not even a thing for me. And there's probably a lot of people being like, I bet this is some privileged white woman. Uh, (laughs) White woman is correct. (laughs) Privilege inherent to being white. Yes. Um, I'm like, I grew up poor. Uh, My family was on welfare when I was a preteen and early teenager. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all have some degree of adversity in our lives. Yeah, um, but I, I think there's so, there's some pieces there, right? Of yeah. like there are there are the visions that we make up in our head, right? And expectations of, oh, and then when they hear like, oh, she's married. So it's probably her spouse was able to like pick up the slack, which is a very common thing mm-hmm. that happens in in for therapists and Therapist, female therapists. Yeah. And there are a lot of single therapists that I know they're listening to this going like, oh, well, can I do this when I'm on my own? Maybe, you know, it feels like the only people who are successful is they had like a spouse for self, for health insurance, or they had a spouse to like mm-hmm. pick up the, the slack if things slow down. And so I just wanted to highlight that for a moment because I've just heard that so much from, um, from therapists, especially single therapists, and then especially female therapists feeling like, can I really support myself? Could I really support my family? Like, is this really a thing that I could do? And I think you're an excellent, you know, example of like, yes, this is, this is really a thing. 
this is a thing. I, I think that's where boot camp has helped me so much. Mm. Um, like I, I think I signed up for boot camp right after I started my private practice. Like I'd been following you guys for a long time, and I like I hopped on every every webinar. I'm like I'm here, you know, <laughs> mostly because I'm like. I want to win the free boot camp. <laughs> I then, remember you were always chatty too. You're like, I'm yeah. going to be here. I'm going to, I'm putting my energy out. It's going to be okay. Um, and then of course, like, you know, that last time I'm like, all right, it's worth it. And I'm, mm. it's, I'm like, I'm, I'm hesitating to say this, but it's true. It's underpriced. Mm. <laughs> it is. It, because there is so much out there that is uh, similarly priced, but it's like six weeks, right? And there's no way you can take all this in in six weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I, so I signed up for boot camp. So like, I think it was the fall of 2016. It was, uh, it was um, March of 2017. I oh, didn't look it up. Oh, no. <laughs> so that, that's my first boot camp. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's that like six cycles in now at, some, at this point? And I, I don't like, you don't go back in and do a hundred percent of boot camp every single time, but I still go in. And even if I don't like fully dive in, in terms of engagement in the community, like I, for myself, go back in and ask myself questions and work through materials and rehash some things out. And you guys add new stuff too, which is freaking awesome. Like, like you can't get anything better than that. Um, I remember this is a couple of years ago. So it's now, I mean, like two years after boot camp, right? But I was just, you know, you know how people like coaches will like offer their little like free discovery session calls or whatever. Yeah. I've hopped on a few of those just because we you know why not? It's a free thing. Right? You know, why not get someone's feedback? And, you know, then you do like the, the chat of, you know, what the investment would be. And I remember one person who barely had anything on her website. She had a few testimonials from other therapists and she specialized in coaching therapists. And it was $10,000 for a weekend <laughs> and with like zero, like nothing to demonstrate to me that it would be valuable at all other than hopping on this free one hour phone call. And I'm like, you want me to give you $10,000 for this, you know, talking to you for an hour. That's insane. <laughs> like it's, that's absolutely insane. But I'm like, obviously somebody has signed up for this, but I'm like, it's probably because they didn't know about boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just the, um, so like me being able to say that I'm a hundred percent and I've never taken insurance. Mm-hmm. I'm a hundred percent cash pay. I am, mm, I'm more expensive. I mean, I'm probably like in the 80 or 85th percentile of what people charge. I definitely mm-hmm. charge more than the average therapist. I don't charge as much as some people though. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I hear what other people charge, I'm like, Oh dear God, they're <laughs> definitely not worth that. <laughs> it's it's we all have our stuff right we're like wait is that really what is that and it all it's all money stuff when we get into those comparison things but to like no I'm talking about people where I'm like oh like this like coaches for example like coaches (laughs) with quotations because anyone can put that label on themselves and then and then I get the fallout that comes into my office where they say this therapist said this and I'm like oh god I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, on behalf of healthy professionals, that's not okay. You know, my, my favorite one of those was I got a, a couple that came in 
and they tell me, and it was a referral. It was like, they had come from another therapist. And so I didn't do my full assessment mm. and I didn't screen for domestic violence because mm. I made the assumption that they, if they were doing couples work, that that person would have already screened that out. Mm. So they come in and they start telling this story, this horrible story that ended in arrests and violence and someone almost, you know, like being like bruises all over their neck, just terrible stuff. And the, they went in and told this story to another therapist and the therapist listened and said, go, go home and be nice to each other. That was literally the intervention. And when they came into me and I said, look, you guys are not ready for couples therapy and here's why. And this is really concerning and you need your therapist and you need your therapist. And they're like, yeah, like we're in agreement. Like everybody was on the same page that like, no, that was weird. Like that was like, people were in jail and people were injured and like, this is not okay. I just had a couple that I started with last week and they were seeing a couples therapist. I'm going to pause because I don't want to go into, do not. Heather, you know better. This is on a, this is too broad. Well, well okay. Let me, let me repackage <laughs> because this has happened on more than one occasion Okay. where a couple's therapist advice is go out on date night. You guys just need date night. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, there's been massive betrayal and like complete epic loss of trust in this relationship. Going out for an ice cream cone or froyo is not going to help. <laughs> No, we have $10,000 of charges from the exotic dancer and the, and the, and the escort and all the things like, no, uh, like, right. no, that's not and a that, thing. And that is my world. I mean, yeah. like I do, I, I have had more than one client with six figures in sexual acting out debt that their yeah. partner didn't know about. Yeah. And when that revelation comes up, I mean, it, I like, I feel really strongly about it because it shatters people's lives and I have to have conversations with people about, okay, so that marriage is over. The marriage that you thought you had is over. And as sad as that is for people, it's also really liberating Mm -hmm. that now I might have the freedom to still choose this person, Mm -hmm. but also reshape the relationship. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much good stuff. Like what we do is so cool. It is. Oh my gosh. Well, I know that we have gone like way over <laughs> our normal, like short podcast thing. But um, for those of you who are listening, I hope that you uh, took some goodies away. Um, let's wrap it up with what is, if there was one piece of advice um, that you wanted to give to, whether it is somebody who's starting from scratch in a new city like you or somebody who's in the, it doesn't really matter, just one piece of advice to other private practice owners that you wish, like, oh, this is this is the takeaway from me, Heather, to you. I'm going to cheat and do a, a slight double. Okay, double so good. networking is your best friend. Mm-hmm. Get into boot camp and network with them. <laughs> I mean, my closest my closest mm. colleagues, I look around, they're all, they're all from boot camp in boot camp. I met them through boot camp. Mm. Um, I mean, geographically we connect and we, we cross refer to each other. And mm. a lot of that is because, because boot camp helps you to actually identify what you're good at. 
-hmm. You're also really confident to refer out to the stuff that you're not good at. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when you can refer to people who are confident in what they're good at, and it's not the stuff that you're good at, Mm -hmm. like I only refer to people who are specialists. Mm -hmm. If you tell me that you work with ages three to 80 and you specialize in 15 different things, I'm like, okay, so you don't know anything. Now that's a little bit biased, I admit, (laughs) but like, I, I want my referrals to be good referrals. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you network with people and you know what they do and you, you know, their strengths and they know yours, it will build your practice because Mm -hmm. people will know how to trust you with certain things. And you build a relationship with, with colleagues and you get to know them, they get to know you. And it's, I mean, they're my friends too. Yeah. You know, it's a personal relationship. I think the other thing too, that is, and it's something we didn't talk about a lot in the very beginning. And I think we didn't even realize we did it when we built boot camp. We didn't realize we did, but we didn't how much clinical training we infuse into every aspect of boot camp. That my work as a as a faculty, Kelly and my's work as clinical supervisors, like all the clinical consultation that we're doing all of that is like infused in this kind of like effortless way into every aspect. When you, when you talk with other therapists who haven't been through a process of like really of like extensive training for private practice, you realize like they don't know how to have a conversation on the phone and do an appropriate intake. They don't know how to screen people out. They don't know how to like really look at what informed consent is and how to do that. They don't know how to make sure that their business processes are really like supportive of the client experience and like kind of like, you know, should really show up as a professional. And so it ends up when you're referring out to people kind of haphazardly in private practice, sometimes you don't know what kind of story you're going to get back. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an embarrassing thing to like refer out to someone and then like get some kind of nightmare story back. And when people have kind of gone through this similar like training program, it's like you guys all went through the same private practice training program, you know, Mm -hmm. like in general, like there's a 75% chance like, oh, we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. We have the same background Um, as diverse as we are clinically and ethnically and geographically and all the other pieces. We have this like solid base of wow, what does it really mean to show up and be an amazing therapist? What does it really mean to integrate outcomes work and make sure that we're doing good work? What does it mean to make sure that we're limiting our caseloads so that we're not burning out? What does it mean to, you know, all the other pieces? So I think there is just this like shared values place Mm-hmm. that comes and makes it easier to connect. And if you're not in boot camp, like, please know you can, there, there are ways to find that elsewhere. You just, you need to get in and like really get to know people in a deep way. Like I think a lot of people hear the term networking and they just think go to places and, and trade business cards with people. And then they go and do that and they go like, well, but no one's referring to me mm-hmm. because it's not just about trading business cards. You really need to, like you said, be able to convey your brilliance. Other people need to be convey theirs. You need to get to know and trust that other person mm-hmm. um, because you're, you're trusting your reputation. Every time you give a name, you are tr- that is a part of your reputation. It is a thing. When, when I refer even to like a website designer or a developer and then they like drop the ball, it reflects on me and I have become 
<laughs> like we've had issues with Zenimi where we're like, oh, we'll refer to this thing. Then they get over, over, like they get too many clients. They don't know how to scale. And then they drop the ball, even after like years of doing great work. And so we've become like very, very, very careful in terms of who we interview people and say, what is your scaling plan? <laughs> what are you going to do if you get a hundred calls tomorrow? Are you going to say no to people? Are you going to say yes? And then like drop the ball? Like, cause we're not going to do that anymore. We're, we're we get frustrated. So mm-hmm. anywho, my little soapbox for a moment, but, but you're right. Networking is my husband used to tease me because when like I went to networking meetings at like local restaurants and like we basically hung around and had coffee and croissants and you know just chit chatted and he was like oh you're goofing around I'm like no this is work like this is legit work and it is you know and it you know my it takes time to build relationships I mean the same way like we were talking earlier about how do we build clinical relationships with clients and what's a healing experience it's time and it's really getting to know people as they are and that's in real life you know, my life is crazy and my toddler's a psychopath. And, you know, I had a fight with my own spouse today. Like it's showing up as a real human being and people yeah. getting to know you and, you know, and when they know you, they also get a feel for how you are clinically. Yeah. That's how you build the relationships. Yeah. So I hope to hear some questions from you guys, like go and check out the show notes. Um, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening to us on the podcast, um, and like send in your questions for, for Heather. I feel like we could have so many questions from this particular one of like all the things that we glossed over is really fun one. And, um, if, well, if you, if you need an excellent expert, um, in Inland Empire or across California, don't call Heather because she's overbooked and has a waiting list already. And, uh, she's got more than enough clients. But I'm creative, but that's the, and I, okay. So last plug on bootcamp being creative, like the permission to be creative. I'm like, okay, well, obviously doing one-to-one is I got to do more. And like the permission to be like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Like, that's the attitude of boot camp. Like, okay, so what are you going to do next? And I'm like, I should do something next. What should I do next? <laughs> like, like it, Ooh, you know? it's time for a group couples. Oh, it's time for a workbook. Oh, it's time for a, you know, for webinar trainings or what have you. Exactly. Again, thank you so much for your time and your heart and your vulnerability um, in sharing where you're at. And I know this is going to inspire um, a lot of people. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you.